Hey everybody, this is Brett. And this is Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. Acting Edition, Part 1. Tis the season for the acting, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Gilda Films Podcast. Like we said, we are Christian, we are Brett, and we are here to talk acting. So when we talk about acting, we mean performances, those that we favored across the entire decade, and specifically these ones are going to be supporting acting performances of the decade that we found lit as hell. Very difficult to come up with. Um, some of my favorite performances of the decade overall have been supporting, so it was really difficult to narrow some of these down. I've got a lot that probably seem like pretty typical, like of course is wrong, and I've got one, yeah, basically one or two that might come from out of nowhere. But yeah, very difficult to narrow down, but there have been a lot of good supporting acting performances this year, whether they were included at the Oscars or not. And so thanks for tuning in. As always, follow, rate, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Check out our website. Follow us on all the social media. And we really appreciate those who have listened in so far. And continuing our brief series on the best of the decade in certain aspects of the movies. We have covered the best songs. We've covered the best animated films. Now we move on to the supporting performances. We've got a few more to go after this all leading up to our best films of the decade. So this is a lot of fun. All right. Well, let's just go ahead and jump in and start our countdown. Christian, would you like to kick us off with your number 10? Sure. So my number 10, actually, I will start out, it was not nominated for an Academy Award. And it may be a little bit of a shock, and at the time of this recording, it may come very appropriately timed. It is from Star Wars, The Last Jedi, the one, the only, the Luke Skywalker himself, Mr. Mark Hamill. Ooh, okay. Mark Hamill, please listen to us. We're going to tap him on this. So, what I liked about this performance, because we're going to be talking about what we liked about it, um, along with the other ones that I picked, this is one that stuck with me really the moment the movie was over. This is Luke really at his darkest, at his most vulnerable, at his sad old man stage in his life. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Last Jedi, you've been under a rock for two years, Luke fades away, let's say, at the end of it all. Hopefully he becomes a Force ghost. Again, at the time of this recording, none of us have seen The Rise of Skywalker. Although I had a chance to today, but that's a different story. Um, but yeah, he, he's a totally different Luke from the 1977 and 80s versions of the story. He doesn't, he no longer wants to be part of this Jedi calling that Rey has because of what happened between him and Kylo. Although there's still very much questions about what exactly happened. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Mark Hamill gives it his all in this. And I was just amazed that Luke is such a heroic figure 
in the classic versions of these stories that all of a sudden you get the last jedi and he is like done with everything let's just say he's like done with everything star wars he throws that lightsaber away and he's like no fuck this i just want to be solitude on the island it is a totally different version of him i think mark hamill does some great things with him especially when he actually does start to train ray that last scene is pretty legit but yeah number 10 mark hamill for the last jedi Wow, I didn't see that coming, <clears throat> but um, I agree. He is my definitely my favorite performance from this new Star Wars trilogy. Um, without diving into these controversial aspects of his character, I mean, some people hate it, some people love it. I love his character in this movie. I thought it was great. I'll just say that, um, and I thought his performance was great as well. Because let's be honest, like I love Luke in the originals, but Mark Hamill's mm-hmm. acting is like fine at best in the original trilogy in my opinion um sometimes even quite questionable especially in a new hope but to see him come out and like deliver this really awesome performance a luke skywalker that deep down he's still the luke we know but he's been you know things have happened he's different it's a really great performance so i really like that and i know that i've read early on even mark hamill wasn't so keen to get into this version of Luke. Yeah. Because again, it's a Luke that doesn't care about the Jedi Order anymore. But it's something, just like The Last Jedi is a completely different Star Wars story compared to everything. Yeah. He's a different Luke and it works. It works for me. I think it works for the movie. And especially that final, those final moments he has against Kylo are so great. Yeah. That's pretty badass. I mean, 30 years, people change, you know? It happens. So. And especially because. Other than voice acting, I can't think of another role that he's done really like live action that's stuck with people. Yeah, same. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Well, my number 10 was Oscar nominated, should have been an Oscar winner, and that is Laurie Metcalf in Lady Bird. Ooh. Yeah. I think there are so many ways this could have descended into a, you know, typical mom role. Um, but she brings so much character to it. It's like, at times, she almost like pisses off because of the things that she says to Lady Bird. But at the same time, you know it's coming from a very caring place. And really, at the end of this movie, it's like, gosh, it just makes you want to call your mom up and say, hey, mom, I love you. And Laurie Metcalf is a big reason for that in this movie. Um, I watched a lot of scenes of these actors before we started doing this. And the one I watched for her was when um, she's talking to Lady Bird about being suspended from school and whatnot. And just the way she weaves through that argument where you know she she really cares, but it's the way that she presents it that's a little different and a little hard to get by at times. Um, part of that is due to the writing. I mean, Lady Bird has an amazing script, um, but Lori Metcalf really took it on. Um, she lost to another mom performance, Allison Janney, which... I love no. Allison Janney, but that performance is so one note compared to Laurie Metcalf. Um, How dare you hit me like this? <laughs> but yeah, um, really love the performance. It was, I mean, I knew who Laurie Metcalf was, but I hadn't really had a great foundation of her work. Um, but this was a great intro to that. So number 10, Laurie Metcalf and Lady Bird. I will save my thoughts. Yeah, I wondered. I figured that'd be the case. But I will say that this gave me an understanding of who Lori Metcalf was because after this, I started watching Roseanne mm. and she's just as great on that 
Nice. And even now on the Connors, which I mean, it's just a spinoff. She's still amazing. Yeah, very nice. And her theater work. I've seen clips of her theater work is good. Cool. Uh, so my number nine is a winner of Best Supporting Actress. And it is Regina King mm. in a Bill Could Talk, last year's Best Supporting Actress winner. This is, she plays Sharon Rivers, who's the mother of the main character, Tish, uh, Clementine Tish Rivers. It's a very, I will say, subtle, quiet performance. It is very much supporting. She's most definitely a supporting character in this. You don't see her for the longest stretch of time. And then when you do see her in this really big scene that I loved reading the book and I loved seeing the movie, where she goes to, I believe it's Cuba, to sort of get an understanding of what's happening with the situation at hand. Um, Tisha's boyfriend has been accused of rape by a woman who escaped back to Cuba, and Regina's character goes back to sort of solve things. But that is such like a good scene. Again, it's so subtle. There's not a whole lot of yelling. It's just her trying to get the facts, her trying to get the answers. But at the same time, she is a mom. She's a soon-to-be grandmother. So she knows that she is the one who might save her family. And I just like, oh, I super love this performance. I love Regina King. Yeah. Because I know her from TV shows. I know her from Legally Blonde, too. I must say that. She's kind of a bad girl in there, but she turns better once, you know, Miss L. Woods fixes her. And like, hey, let's be friends, not enemies. Let's work together. But no, Regina King is the bomb, and she got shafted in a few wards last year, but then came home glorious. <laughs> yeah, my number nine is Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah, that, that is an example of just a very good supporting performance. Like, mm -hmm. not in the movie for terribly long, but when she is, it just lights up. So I love it. Okay, my number nine is also an Oscar winner um, from the last three years or so. Um, he's actually a two-time Oscar winner now. One of his wins I don't so much agree with. Uh, but it is Mahershala Ali for Moonlight. Um when I, when I think of this performance, I just think like warm, like he's a very warm character in this, you know, he's, he's got his flaws, he's got his path that he's reckoning with and all while trying to be this mentor for this young boy. And the way he delivers it, it's just so it's like, it's that person, like, I want to know this person, you know, I want to know more about them. I wish I knew them in person because he just plays it so, I don't know, uh, thoughtfully. And so you know, the scenes where he's um, talking to the boy and talking about how he has to decide all this for himself and talking about coming from Cuba. Sometimes you forget what Mahershala Ali is actually like. I mean, if you watch Mahershala Ali giving speeches and whatnot out in person, um, sometimes it's not so easy to see the differences between when he's acting for this character. But he is really putting on a performance here with um, the way he delivers the lines and, you know, the the way he shows emotion with his face in a way that's almost like he's trying to hide it, but you know it's there. Um, not so much my introduction to Mahershala Ali, but the first time where I was really like, oh my God, like this guy is incredible. Um, I want to see everything else he does. And so obviously he won for Green Book recently last year, which... I'm not a fan of that movie, but it's also the case of like, I'm always down to watch Mahershala Ali give an award speech because he's incredible. And this performance is one of the best of the decade. So number nine from Moonlight, Mahershala Ali. 
it's really interesting to think that he's been in some movies right before Moonlight 2 that I've seen, and you don't know it's him until he gets all this bug. Yeah. Like, because I know the movie I saw before that was most likely The Hunger Games, one of the final two, and he's in that, and it's like, oh, this whole time, he's always been there. But no, again, it reminds me of Regina King. It's a quiet, subtle role. Mm -hmm. It is definitely um, supporting, because he's only in the first half of the film, and he's that father figure to Chiron, which yeah. is nice because Chiron doesn't have a father figure. And even though he's a drug seller, you don't really see that at all. Mm -hmm. The only thing you see is him helping out Chiron, introducing him to his wife, introducing him to his home, and helping him as best he can. And that's, I mean, that's terrific. I love that role too. Yeah, same. Very nice. All right, let's hear your number eight. All right, my number eight is one that introduced this person to the world. Ooh. And it is a supporting actress winner from 12 Years a Slave, the lovely Lupita Nyong'o. Brett is fist pumping right now. He's so happy. Yes. yes. She, she plays Patsy, um, one of the slaves that Solomon encounters his time as a slave. Um, she is very... I will say she's you, you obviously are going to feel very compassionate to her seeing all the shit that happens with her through Michael Fassbender's character. She gets the very torturous life. Um, she has a great moment where she's screaming and crying, which I mean, just feels like the entire performance. But I mean, when she's going through what she's going to might as well. Again, I just, as you've noticed, my common theme are these quiet, subtle performances, because this again feels like a quiet, subtle performance but because it's Lupita giving her like this weird complex emotion of Patsy and I think she said this during her acceptance speech that Patsy represents the lives of so many millions of slaves something along the lines of that you feel that pain for her you feel that oh my god Solomon you want Solomon to be freed as a slave but damn it you kind of also want Patsy free and you want to know her her story in the end of it all and i just love it that's one of the i think this is one of the earliest films on my list from the decade i think so yes that like it sticks with you yeah and all through oscar season that year of course i'm rooting for her to win and she did yeah yeah i was just looking because i wasn't sure but that that was literally her first feature film role i mean she was in the yeah. tv series had a few short films but this was, and I knew she, she worked as like a production assistant too on some movies. Mm. Yeah, what about? And she was going up against Jennifer Lawrence that year, who was like top of the world, making the Hunger Games, just won an Oscar the previous year. I was basically like in love with Jennifer Lawrence at that time, and it was like very conflicting because I was rooting for Lupita to win this Oscar, and I'm like, sorry, J Law, forgive me, but Lupita's got to win. She's amazing. I will. I'm going to call out somebody. Hello to our favorite listener maddie but i will never forget she said if lupita loses to jennifer lawrence i'm turning the oscars off <laughs> damn i will never forget that she might forget it but i don't forget things <laughs> and that was only because the golden globes gave jennifer lawrence the win that year and yeah, yeah. nobody knew it was one of those like nail biters because you never know how the oscars are gonna sway yeah exactly yeah, love that performance. Um, love how it just kick-started Lupita's career. Um, and is, she's continuing to impress, especially this year with us. So, great pick. 
Okay. My number eight is the one where I'm not expecting to see it on your list because I don't expect to see it on many people's lists. But I wanted to give some attention to comedic performances. And this is one that has really stuck with me. Um, one that I think is pretty underappreciated. And it is Glenn Powell in Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, so I know, I know. Not what most people are going to go for. But when you're watching this movie, and this movie is not about his character, he plays a character named Finn, or Finnegan. He is this super funny, but also like oddly philosophical player on this baseball team in college. And he's one of the seniors, so he's like the one who's going to give all the freshmen the crap, but he's also kind of like a uh, mentor for them as well. But when you see this movie, keeping in mind that he is not the lead character, it's just wild to think like he's the one we want to follow. You know, when he comes on screen, which he's on screen quite a bit, but he's the one that we're most interested, or at least that I'm most interested in. And it's not really that close. And it is kind of a result of he says these things that are kind of like smart, but they don't sound smart sometimes when he says them just because of the way he acts sometimes. He's a partier. He's one of those guys. He's got the long hair with the porn mustache going on. Um, and somehow just a character that I shouldn't like as much as I do. And part of this is the way that Powell plays him and really hits those comedic bits and just really kind of goes all out with the comedy. He doesn't um, short on anything. It's not that he's trying to be graceful or anything. He's just really, really funny. Um, from 2016, it was a performance that really stuck with me all year in a film that I found pretty hilarious. And so I want to give it some attention. So number eight, Glenn Powell from Everybody Wants Some. Hmm. Well, plot twist, but I will save my... No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been far more shocking than the Please Mr. Kennedy one. Um, no, interesting. I haven't seen that movie in ages, but I remember really liking it. It's weird. I don't remember that performance as much, but, I mean, good pick. If you watch again, just, like, watch for the way he delivers those philosophical lines, because there's a certain art to it. I mean... Just looking at the picture, because I'm looking at the post right now, he reminds me, like, and again, I've seen this movie, but it's been since 2016. He reminds me, like, it's going to be the Matthew McConaughey of the movie via Days of Confused. Yes, yes. Pretty accurate, I would say, to a degree. Since it is, since it is like, the spiritual sequel to Days and Confused in and of itself. Yeah. He doesn't seem, like, stoned the whole time like Matthew McConaughey did or was in Days and Confused. Like, he's a little more lively than that, but definitely a good comparison there. Mm. Hmm. And I don't know. I think Glenn Powell could be a really good actor, but he just, he can't get very good roles. He's mostly in, like, action movies. He played John Glenn in Hidden Figures. Um, For a brief minute. For a brief minute, yeah. He was in Set It Up with Zoe Deutsch, who's also in this movie, and that was, like, a pretty charming role for him, but... Uh, He will be in Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. But it's not anything to do with Tom Cruise. Exactly. But, yeah, my off-the-wall pick obviously was not Oscar-nominated that year. All right, let's hear your number seven. All right, my number seven is from this year. So we don't know if she is going to be Oscar nominated yet, but it is Zhao Suzanne for The Farewell. Nice. Um, This uh, is my favorite 
Supporting Performance of the Year. This is 2019, if you're listening in. Um, she plays Nai-Nai, the grandmother to Aquafina's character, and she has cancer, but she doesn't know about it. Because in Chinese culture, they do not tell you if you are sick because it will only make the cancer fast active and kill you faster. Instead, they want her to you know, live her life as she is. If you get sick, if it's a cold or anything that has to do with the cancer, they'll just say it's cold. They won't say it's cancerous. Her performance in this, I think, is so damn lively, so damn charming. She wants the best for every single one of her family members. There's a moment that you may think she knows she's ill, but at the same time, she's not going to say that she knows she's ill because, again, it'll probably only make it go faster. Her relationship with Aquafina's character is lovely, especially that the moment... Again, I hope you all watch this. The moment that they are outside and Nai Nai is saying that you need to, like, just scream out loud mm-hmm. and that'll be like your emotions. The hi! Hi! That is, like, the best scene in the film because it comes back into later play. But, yeah, that it's such a remarkable performance it reminds me of my grandmothers it reminds people of so many of their grandmothers lulu wang uh, based it on her her own grandmother obviously it's a true story but no i hope zhao i i hope i'm pronouncing that right too zhao shuzen i hope she goes far this year because damn it she deserves it yeah yeah she's one of my favorites of the year still in my predictions so i'm like holding out hope for her as well but when people say like I have this grandma and she's my favorite person in the world, that is Xiao Zuzin in this yeah. movie. Like that, she encapsulates that perfectly. You can tell that she wants what's best for everybody, but also wants like you know um, the tradition and whatnot to go how she prefers as well. Um, so yeah, great pick. I love that performance as well. And you said like again, she wants the best for everybody. I'm just reminding myself of the scene where. She wants lobster for the wedding feast, but they're offering her crab. And they're like, Mom, it's fine. We don't care. And she's like, no, you got to have what I ordered, else we're going to do nothing. It's like, no, Mom, we're good. We're good. Ah, so great. Yeah. Her performance is part a big reason why that film is so powerful, because like you care about her that much that you're invested yeah. in this decision they have to make. So, very nice. Okay, my number seven is one that has already been mentioned. So our first crossover. Um, but it is, once again, Lupita Nyong'o in 12 Years a Slave. There is just, there is so much pain in this performance that like it, it makes you hurt just watching it um, because she represents that so well. It's this person who, gosh, has just has pre- basically always known slavery and the pain that comes with that think about the scene where um she is in trouble because she went to this other person's house to get soap and she's talking about how like for all this time i'm doing more than anybody else here all i ask is that i could be clean and it's just like gosh that's so powerful and so horrific but she um represents that pain in a way that feels so real um you mentioned subtle. A lot of times this performance is subtle, even if what we remember is the really more loud bits, like when she is being whipped um, by Solomon and by Michael Fassbender's character. Lupita Nyong'o is a revelation. I mean, you think about where she went from here and her career kind of took off, getting involved with the Star Wars franchise, uh, supporting role in Black Panther, 
it just makes me really happy that she finally, like she got that lead role that she really deserved with us this year. Um, because another great performance, my personal favorite lead performance of the year this year. I know I'm not here to talk about that, but really this was a great example of an Oscar winner coming from basically out of nowhere showing that, yeah, they earned it. Um, not just with that performance, but what they've gone on to do afterwards as well. And so Lupita Nyong'o is my number seven for 12 Years a Slave. I'm so happy for her. Oh, me too. Okay, let's hear your number six. All right, for my number six, it is from a comic book movie. As we lose like half the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it is not Robert. It is Patrick Stewart for a film called Logan. Nice. Yeah. He plays Charles Xavier, Professor X. This is a gritty as fuck version of X-Men. Logan, of course, tells the story of Logan Wolverine, who's older. Patrick Stewart is Professor X, but he has, I'm pretty sure it's like a dementia Alzheimer's situation. Yeah, where it really affects his mind. He's, you know, he's telepathic. Something happened that we don't know about that pretty much wiped out a majority of the people living in the mansion, in the X-Mansion. And he is in pain. This is another character who's in pain because his head hurts, not only him, but it can hurt people as well. In his little moments, he has, I'll say like flare-ups, let's say, that will stop people dead in their tracks. It's really hard to watch him because you just know him as the lovable professor who's pretty cool and badass in the X-Men movies, but this is him more of a total human. Um, it's a very sad performance. Gosh, what is it me in sad performances? I mean, the past three now. It's sad. I mean, he has to watch, he's watching himself pretty much go through the mill here as they're on the run. But I don't know. This is a comic book role, but it doesn't feel so much comic booky than you know, what you might think. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I love this. And I love Patrick Stewart. This is one of the favorite roles of him because I grew up watching X-Men and really appreciating it. So to come full circle from, like, him in a wheelchair being badass to him having to be carried by Logan, not even remembering half the things. I mean, not like X-Men is pretty good with continuity. That's a different story. Right. But, yeah. And I know you love this performance as well, so... Oh, yeah. I was just thinking, like, I I almost included it on this list. Um, it's definitely an honorable mention. And I was trying to think of what I enjoyed better from 2017, other than, like, Willem Dafoe, The Florida Project. Those two were, like, neck and neck. Mm -hmm. uh, it just kills me that he didn't get much awards attention for this. Because he's he is the Charles Xavier we know, but he's also, obviously, like you said, a lot of pain and also, like, a little more <laughs> aggressive, I guess. I always think yeah. of... I can't remember what logan first says to him but the first thing he says is oh fuck off logan and it's not it's not something i expect from professor x but it's hilarious um when he says it and yeah he's great in that role hugh jackman is great in that movie too um well it's acted so, movie. Like I said, it's such a sad role because he's like a sophisticated gentleman in half of the x-men movies and now you're seeing him not he lives in what like a grain silo yeah to control his mind because it could hurt people and he knows it could hurt people and that upsets him mm -hmm. Ugh, it's a good movie and Very it's a good. surprise i don't really like a whole lot of comic book movies but this is something more yeah for sure 
All right. So my number six is from 2012, which was like an incredible year for Best Supporting Actor. And this one is Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master. I recently saw, I shouldn't say recently, in July, little shade, they released it in July of this year. IndieWire did their like top 50 performances of film performances of the decade. And Philip Seymour Hoffman was our number one. Although he's not my number one, it's not something that I can necessarily argue with because he is so good in this movie. And I saw this, we've done an episode over the Oscar 2012, so I mean, you could hear it there too, but when I first saw this movie, didn't really get it, watched it again this year, and truly got to take in the gravity of his performance, whether it's um, the scene with him and Joaquin Phoenix where they're you know, doing the exercise together or where he is confronted by that man who thinks he's a phony and he defends himself and just the kind of the power in that scene. This is a role in which he has to demonstrate power. Like he has to, or else he's not going to be able to uphold that. And Philip Seymour Hoffman does that so well. Um, gosh, one of our best actors, honestly, and his passing is still difficult to take. And that just becomes all the more clear when you watch this performance. So that's my number six. Well, I was literally, before we started this number six, say we haven't had too many of the, let's just continue the conversations, but mm -hmm. hey, let's continue the conversation because my number five is also Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Master. Very good. Nice. Yeah. I think I mentioned this in our 2012 episode, but if not, I will say it here. He is a very convincing cult leader in this. Like, I would follow this little formation that he has going on here. You right. Know? Um, again, this is like based on uh, L. Ron Hubbard and his Scientology methods. The scene that gets me the most, the second, no, I think this is the third time that I had seen it when we did the podcast, was the scene where him and Freddie, Joaquin Phoenix, are doing the sort of the test. Yeah, to what, really, what do you call it, the processing? Yeah, to yeah. really get him in there. And it's like, go to this wall, and I go to this wall. And it's just like a montage of things happening. Yeah, that's like one of the best scenes. And again, it's such like, he's a cult leader that you really want to follow because he's so calm throughout this. He just stands there and he's like, all right, do this, do this. And everybody's just watching like, oh my God, this is so amazing. When you, even as a viewer, is like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, he's going nowhere for anybody. And even the scene when they're both in prison and he's just, again, he's standing there and then he gets super pissed off just because he broke the toilet, uh, Joaquin Phoenix Again, it's just like, a, I'm just going to be calm throughout all this, and you're going to fucking listen to me, and you're going to follow my cult, and you're going to give me the money, because I need it. Like, yeah. I would follow this man. I want, he, he can take my money. And I think that this is Philip Seymour Hoffman's best performance in a movie, as it is. Like, I've seen Capote, it's fine, but this is a little bit better. Nice. Yeah. He just comes off as so intelligent, like you got to believe him when he's talking. It, it feels like it would be true. And he's very convincing yeah. in that way. So very nice. Well, in a way, continuing the conversation, because my number five also comes from 2012 and that wild race and supporting actor. But this is one that was not nominated. Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained. Ew. 
I've always loved this role. I've always I thought he's the best one in the movie. Christoph Waltz was the one who got nominated and eventually won for this movie. Not only is he pretty much a lead, but I think Leo is actually a little bit better here. Um, and I really, I didn't realize just how much I appreciated it until I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because in that movie, he plays a similar character within a character when they're shooting the TV series and whatnot. But I was able to see the differences between the way he portrays those two characters and really made me figure out like what he was doing with Calvin Candy. This person who is obviously very abhorrent, slave owner, just a cruel, cruel person who I think thinks he has a lot of charisma. And so we kind of get that through DiCaprio's performance that Calvin Candy's a bad dude who can do some bad shit, but he's also, he can, he can slip up too. As we see as the movie goes along, he slips up big time and, you know, costs him his life. Um, the dinner scene is just like so thrilling and frightening and wild. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, I mean, he's, he's an actor kind of known for having his shouting bits, but with this one, it feels truly very fierce and terrifying when he ascends into that mode. And so Leo DiCaprio, Django Unchained, really, that should have been one of his Oscar nominations, if not his win, his first win. Mm -hmm. It's a nice performance, too, because you get to see him being funny in it as yeah. well. Yeah. Which I think also, he's funny in other movies, especially like Catch Me If You Can. That's really lighthearted. But it's like, it always convinces me, this performance, like, he could be in pretty good comedies if he wanted to. Because again, you yeah. see it in like one time in Hollywood, he made me laugh like a bunch of times because he's so like clueless and stuff. But no, I really like Leonardo. This didn't make my list, but it made my long list in the long run of this. <laughs> no, good performance though. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I wish he did more comedies. He's so picky. I know. I know. Me too. Just the idea of Calvin Candy is a little bit comedic in itself. Like this guy, like he, he prefers you to call him Monsieur Candy. Like who is this guy? <laughs> like whatever. It looks like but. a dinner table scene and it's like totally unscripted when he crashes the skull and his like hand <sighs> is bleeding and that's like him actually bleeding and they're just like, roll with it. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty wild. Okay, going further into the top half, let's hear your number four. Okay, so my number four is going to be controversial, only because it's the big whole question, is this leading? Is this supporting? Ooh, mm -hmm. is supporting, although it won for Best Lead Actress. It is last year's winner, Olivia Coleman in The Favorites. Mm hmm I consider all three of those women supporting because, well, no, I really consider them all three supporting and all three leading. It can go either way. Yeah. For last year, for my personal rankings, though, I had Olivia winning for supporting. She plays Queen Anne, uh, the Queen of England in the, I want to say it's like 1700s or so. Again, God, but Christian, with the pain and stuff. I love people in pain. She is in pain. She has gout. She has issues with her arthritis and her legs. She can't move half the time. She has her favorite, who is in Lady Sarah, Rachel Weiss. Um, and again, it's more of a dark, humorous version of Queen Anne than sort of like a hoity-toity version that you would think about for a period piece. Again, it's 
almost subtle since she has to be in the background to two other people competing for her affection. Mm-hmm. But when she has her scenes, when she has her moments, they are so fucking good that the second she won, I screamed because I was so ecstatic. <laughs> like, if I could have been in that room, I would be crying like Emma Stone was, yeah. giving her hugs. You know, Go get that damn award, girl. But my favorite scene, of course, is like, the, look at me, look at me, how dare you? <laughs> That's great. The ending scene, I want people to see this. If you haven't seen this, the ending scene is so, I know it's, you know, it's the writers doing the work and the director, but that scene itself, her grasping on Emma Stone's head and just going for whatever she's doing there, is so layered. And just the look on her face, and then it's over. It's like, oh, Olivia. Yeah. That scene is important because it's the first time where she truly like shows her dominance. Like, sure, she bosses people around throughout the film, but it's still presented in a way that okay, but these two women are going to get the better of her. You know, they're going to get yeah. their pleasure out of it. But when she finally shows, like, uh, no, I'm in charge here, and Emma Stone it's just like, it's like, don't you fucking forget who I am? In the exactly, exactly. I can, your, I can be your friend, but I am also your ruler. Yeah. Yeah, I love that performance. I love Olivia Coleman. She is just like, her Oscar speech was incredible. Um, she was so funny, but also like heartfelt. And she she really did not expect to win. Nobody nope. expected her to win. And so, but she was deserving. Um, so it wasn't like one of those like, wow, how did they win? No, it was a deserving performance. And I was just glad that we got to see that speech. And so- mm-hmm. I watch it on YouTube. I bet I've watched it five times since she won, at least. So. Oh, I've watched it more. When I get sad, sometimes I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand that. Yeah. But, I mean, again, this can go either. It can go leading. It can go supporting. But for me, it's supporting. Because you can think about it, too, like this. The Emma Stone character and the Rachel Vice character are the two leads competing mm-hmm. for the of the queen who's more of a secondary character because i'm pretty sure she has like the second or third most screen time in this Mm -hmm. and they're the ones competing for the favorites and again in the long run they might regret who really wants to be the favorite because of all her like issues (laughs) she has pain on herself there's pain in her head the royal family there's a lot of that sorry royal family you're opting out there's a lot of the inbreeding situation that made him even more crazy but yep. that's another podcast <laughs> very nice good pick thank you okay so my number four is my third pick from 2016 because i for some reason that year for supporting acting just really sticks out to me this one is michelle williams in manchester by the sea Oh, our shortest one so far. Yeah, she she's really not in much of this movie. Um, she has some scenes early on that are kind of brief flashbacks, which, you know, she's um, Casey Affleck's wife in this movie and just kind of her at home and kicking all the guys out. But then the scene comes, the scene where she really like breaks down with him and just unleashes everything she's feeling to him. Um, I watched the scene earlier today. 
the way that it builds where she starts it out kind of small, almost as if it's like small talk and just keeps going, going to where she, you feel that she can't hold on anymore. And so she finally yeah. lets it out and cries to him and, you know, takes so much blame on herself, which is so hard to like watch her do because she has had these horrific things happen to her. If you haven't seen the movie, you, you got to watch it. I mean, just see what happens to her in this movie. Um, regarding her children and to see her reveal the, the blame that she feels in that, which we don't really expect in that moment, the blame she feels for um, leaving Casey Affleck's character, despite the things that he did. Um, and it's just a really, really powerful scene. One of my, I would say one of the best acted scenes of the decade, not only with her, but with Affleck, because he kind of chimes in as well and does some really good work in that scene. Um, but yeah, she, she tore me apart. It's really a shame that Viola Davis jumped in that year with Fences and gave an undeniable performance. Perhaps a spoiler alert there. Um, because, you know, if this had come out in 2015, I would hope that Michelle Williams would have a chance to win that Best Supporting Actress. Because uh, I think she deserves an Oscar, but was not meant to be this year, although she was nominated. So it's my number four. And it's amazing, too, that that scene where she totally breaks down takes place in just like a road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> be walking and run into each other, and she's like, "Hey, we haven't seen you in a while. I'm gonna talk to you about some shit." And it's like it goes from there. Yeah, yeah. We saw this together, and I remember you like really loving that performance too. And you're right; it is a good performance because Michelle Williams is a fantastic actress. Yes, she's one of my favorites. Like right now, like of the list of people who I really want to win an Oscar. Obviously, you've got Amy Adams, of course, Jake Gyllenhaal. Michelle Williams is right up there in the top tier for me. Mm -hmm. All right. Entering the top three. What do you got? One we've spoken about that's lower on your list, but it is Laurie Metcalf in Lady Bird. Again, like really my intro to Laurie Metcalf. I love her now. She is my mother. She <laughs> is perfect. You know, a lot of people I've talked to who've seen Lady Bird have always said, like, this is me and my mom. Whether it be even like girls and guys are like this is me and my mom and it's true she plays such a convincing mother figure in this and i know she's a really good mother figure on roseanne as well but it's like this that it really gets to the nitty-gritty of what it sometimes is like to be a mother i would say because she clashes with ladybird so much but at the end of the day you know she knows that sometimes she's in the right sometimes ladybird's in the right and there's that damn scene where Ladybird's like, do you like me? Mm. And it's like that pause before she's just like, I just want you to have the best life possible. Girl, you didn't answer that question, <sighs> but the answer is like, it's so typical of what you would expect from her. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, yeah, I love you, but do I like you as my daughter, even though you cause sometimes the biggest pieces of drama with me? The opening scene is them being totally normal and then Ladybird jumping out of the car because they get an argument. <laughs> and I'm, oh God, I think you know how disappointed I was when she kept losing all those awards because yep. she was nominated for supporting. And she's a winner in my heart, though. Yeah, it was almost like we went into Oscar night just realizing it was over. Like, yeah, we got a lot of good films up tonight, but there's a little bit of a cloud over because we know Laurie Metcalf's not going to win. And she yeah. And so, and even though even though this seems like a character who's a bad mother because of all the fighting that they do, 
those last scenes when Ladybird gets the note, she was always a good mother. Yeah. She just didn't know how to express it. Exactly. Just like Ladybird was most likely always a good daughter, but she didn't know how to do it well. Mm-hmm. So. Very nice. Oh God! Did I just say that? That made me be like, that, oh, shit. I, I kind of got chills when you said that. Wow! Oh my God! Did Greta have a quitter? Greta, listen to us. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, my number three is another one that has been mentioned so far on your list, um, and it is from last year. Regina King, if Bill Street could talk. You remember? I didn't think she was going to win. Like I, I wanted her to win so badly but that she didn't get nominated at SAG, and I don't think she got nominated at BAFTA. She was missing these precursors. Come to find out, apparently there was a screener issue with the movie, and she pulled through. She won. Um, And a really great moment because Regina King, like you said, is awesome. Mm -hmm. Part of it is just because this character is extremely likable. You know, she wants to do everything she can for her daughter Tish, and um, her boyfriend, Fani, and is going to these ends to do that. But also just, you can tell how much she cares from the very first scene. We talked about this movie in our um, top 10 films of 2018 episode. And I remember talking about how the first time we meet her and she basically tells the in-laws, like, you should be supporting your children. And how dare you come in and talk disrespectfully like that? Like, it's so powerful. I'm like, wow, she, I'm sold. This is amazing. But then she just keeps doing more in this performance where she does. She takes the trip to Cuba and has that moment where she really wants to help her daughter, um, her son-in-law, but um, is also realizing that this woman was actually sexually assaulted by someone and Mm -hmm. is feeling a lot of pain because of that. And having to deal with that and the way she breaks down in that scene, it it is a subtle performance, but extremely powerful um one of the best supporting acting wins in the decade actress or actor um and couldn't have happened to a a better person in my opinion so regina king my number three and shout out to our listener and former co-host toby who absolutely loves if bill street could talk absolutely loves regina king yeah very nice that's for you toby what's up (laughs) All right, let's hear your number two. All right, my number two. Again, going with the, is this lead? Is this supporting? But it went for supporting, and then she won supporting. It is Viola Davis for Fences. Arguably, for myself, one of the best supporting performances, not only of the 2010s, but in terms of Academy Awards, one of the best, I will say. Um, Viola by no means is a bad actress. Everything I've seen her in is so powerful. My introduction to her was through the help. She gets more roles. She gets more notice. Then comes Fences, and they're like, it's Viola's year. And sure enough, it is her year. She won her Tony. She won one of her Tony Awards for the same uh, production of Fences. Then she goes and makes the movie, wins for that. But this is a, compared to, Everything being a subtle role that I've had, this is a sad, again with the sad, a sad, powerful role. Because she gets her screaming match between her and Denzel Washington, where she airs her grievances out there. Where she says, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now that this big revelation of his affairs has come out? 
And it's like, in the end of it, you champion her. You always champion the wife. And Viola Davis, by all means, sells that role. And, I mean, just hearing, first of all, you hear that the movie is being made. The second I heard it was made, I'm like, well, Viola's winning an Oscar. I really wish they would have pushed her hard for actress, lead actress. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'll take supporting, even though she is a lead actress in this. Yeah. This was like, not that it wasn't the case before, but this was the film that really cemented the idea for me that anytime you hear Viola Davis is going to be in a movie, it's a must-see movie. Mm-hmm. you got to go watch it for her because she's possibly the best actress working right now, actor working right now. Um, and this is, this is her real shining moment. So, And like I waited that whole movie for that one scene that she has where she, again, because <laughs> I had read the play in a class that I took in college. So I was like familiar with that moment. Yeah. And the movie was like near two and a half hours because it, it, truly is a pure adaptation where it has everything in it mm-hmm. it's like wait for scene after scene and even denzel in it is amazing as well yeah oh yeah they, they both know those characters so well like the back of their hands uh, yeah they don't really doubt that those are great performances yeah i was watching that scene today on youtube and i was like gosh denzel's amazing in this like i knew it was at the time but i had kind of forgotten just how good he was in that mm-hmm. movie okay my number two I got to say, a lot of my favorite supporting actor wins and some of the best supporting actor wins have come from characters that are just really bad people. So my number two is J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. I was wondering when this was going to show up. (laughs) One of the best movies of the decade, and he is a big reason for it. The the Not My Tempo scene is just... It kind of gives me the chills, but also just because of how nerve-wracking and anxiety inducing it is and scary it is and how much you feel for miles teller because this guy is like the biggest bully imaginable (laughs) and so like you think that's his best it is it's his best scene in the movie and it's one of his first big scenes but he has so many others you could point out too like the time when he announces to the class that his former student has died but hasn't really told the truth about why that is then you have the moment where he's at lunch or at dinner with Miles Teller and actually seems to be like, okay, maybe this guy's a little bit misunderstood. And then it's revealed that, no, he's just a big old dick. <laughs> like, um, But again, and the very last few shots of the movie where him and Miles Teller like connect for a second and you kind of see a brief smile and he's like, you got wow. it. You got wow. it. Because <laughs> really, that's he, he wants greatness. He wants to prove that he can champion these people to be the best mm-hmm. that is not at all a good excuse for what he does in this movie um but you can see through his facial contortion there that that's what he wants i love jk simmons i think he's a very underrated actor you know he's been in roles like juno and the spider-man movies i think are also pretty great but this was just another level i mean this was a year where he won supporting actor for it and I don't think it was ever a contest. So very much deserved. And here's our Zay shout out because I'll always remember Zay texting me once they saw that movie, how anxious they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And leading into my number one pick, it is J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. Oh, yes. And to carry on with anxiety, the only thing I knew going into this movie was it was about a mean music teacher. 
the second he lifts up that chair and throws it to Miles Teller, I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> and I don't know if any of you out there listening have had a music teacher like this, but I have in grade school. Oh. Yeah. Right, giving me that look of grade school. Yeah. And they don't listen. And so I'll, Mr. Webb and Mrs. Mahoney, why you gotta be yelling? Okay. <laughs> Especially Mrs. Mahoney, because I have had the moments where a music teacher has yelled at me for not wanting to do, not wanting to comply to her rules. I mean, if I didn't want to sing, I didn't want to sing. And they would yell. And so, like, watching this, I'm triggered into flashbacks of grade school, which is really awful. I mean, Terrence Fletcher in this the character is such an awful person. You could even yes. consider him a murderer. Because, again, you mentioned what happened to, the, like, a kid ends up dying he says it's a car accident we really learn later on what happened you can consider that a murderer all right and he wants he wants the best for his students but in a way that he finds suitable and his students don't find suitable really the rest of the world might not find suitable okay this is Aaron fletcher's world we're living in it we have to survive it yeah I think he wants the best for them because of how that reflects back on him. Right? Because like, he's like, do not mess this up or you will make me look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. And then that last scene, because I just watched this a few weeks ago, actually, to prepare for some other uh, episodes we'll be doing. But that last scene with, like you said, him, Miles Tell- Teller's character just connect. And you just see their eyes. And it's like, all right, you got this, kid. You're not as stupid as I thought you were. It's like... <laughs> But at the same time, he sets him up to perform a different song than he totally promised him. Yeah. It's like, no man, I will be nice to you to your face, but in reality, I want you to fucking suffer with me. Yeah. So. Which is such a shocking moment because up to that point, like you you might think like, oh, he, he finally realized how awful he is and how much he messed up. And he's like, okay, this is a second chance. Nope. Nope. Still just awful. <laughs> yeah. But but even then, with that connection, it's like he almost realizes this kid finally gets it. Yeah. You know. Great ending. Gives me chills. Okay. Well, I kind of knew this would happen because I think there are a few performances every decade that are just undeniable. That's the word I keep coming back to. Undeniable. J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. Undeniably great. As is my number one, Viola Davis for Fences undeniably great i figured this number one yeah i mean it's i mean to the whole conversation of whether it's lead or supporting i i agree like you could go either way i've kind of as the years go on i've gone a less i've gone a little more away from the idea of screen time as a determining factor um and more to how they work into the story but even then what i come back to is that i think the story is definitely centered on denzel's character but Viola and her character are just so present and visible and amazing that it feels like she's the lead. It feels like this is about her. In a lot of ways, it is, even though it's kind of built around him. But, I mean, throughout the whole movie, you just love to watch her, whether she's laughing or crying. But when that big scene comes around where she is kind of like Michelle Williams, finally breaking down and saying what she's wanted to say for so many years. It's one of those, we keep talking about pain and how much you feel their pain, and you really do feel that with her here as she's saying, you keep talking about yourself, look at how I've spent my life, do you think this is what I wanted? And 
it's a big moment of realization for Denzel's character that he doesn't really take to, but the audience certainly will if they haven't already. Um, I'm just going to close off. I, I really like, I believe it's when Denzel won the SAG award. He, mm -hmm. uh, he gave his speech and he said two words, Viola Davis in speech. And I, what more can I say? So they had such a good chemistry too. Yes. Again, that's from them knowing each other from doing this on Broadway where they both won the Tony award for it. So. Right. Yeah. Okay, so there's our top tens, our number ones. But of course, as always, these lists are very difficult to narrow down to 10 people. So Christian, do you have some honorable mentions you'd like to give some attention to? I do. Um, so I'm going to give actually 10 honorable mentions, which will give me 20. Uh, and I'll go really fast. So Anne Hathaway and Les Miserables, uh, Raphael Casal, Cassell in mm. Blind a great performance in a great movie that nobody has seen. <laughs> so y'all need to get on that. Uh, Sylvester Stallone in Creed. He's back as Rocky Balboa. He doesn't have to fight in this one. This is Rocky just like chilling and helping the next generation. Mahershala Ali in Moonlight, who we spoke about. Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaid. Mm. Because damn it, that movie's hilarious. Like that's, First time I watched it, I hated it. The second time I was like, you know what? I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to love this. And I did. And she's great in it. Uh, 15. Oh, see, I'm counting down now. These are. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Listeners, if you want, I will have a full list up by the time this is out. And you can check it out on my letterbox. But so I have Andrew Garfield for the social network. Uh, performance that wasn't nominated, really should have been. Mm -hmm. The foil to Jesse Eisenberg's Mark Zuckerberg. Alan Rickman for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 2. Yes, the final role of Severus Snape and arguably the best performance of Severus Snape by Alan Rickman. Uh, we have Octavia Spencer, my big introduction to her, in The Help. Rachel Weisz for The Favorite because I love that performance as well. And one from this year, Song Kang Ho, who is the father in the film that everybody needs to see, Parasite. Yes. All And I've noticed the common theme for all of these movies, my top 10, my honorable mentions as well, are performance that stuck with me the second the movie was over. Mm. Good point. Yeah, well, nice transition to me. I also, I almost put Song Kang-ho for Parasite in mine. Um, so he's honorable mention. Christian Bale in The Fighter. Um, I still think that's probably his best performance. But you want an Oscar for, so that's good. Octavia Spencer, not just in The Help, but also in a movie from this year called Loose, which oh. might be her best performance. She's great in that movie. No more. No more. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> just know she's great. Um, Richard E. Grant, uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, Should have won last year. Willem Dafoe for both The Florida Project and The Lighthouse. Patrick Stewart, you mentioned for Logan. Sylvester Stallone for Creed. His Golden Globe speech really got to me he says my best friend in the whole world rocky balboa love oh. it um robert de niro in silver linings playbook he has a really nice moment michael fassbender 12 years a slave terrifying unbelievable i also think he should have won june squibb in nebraska for surprising that's the hell out of me that's for you zay <laughs> she's amazing 
Anne Hathaway, Les Miserables, and I should have said her after Christian Bale, but also Melissa Leo for The Fighter as well. So, Y'all should Google Melissa Leo's Oscar campaign pictures. (laughs) (laughs) They are the best. It's a treat. Okay, so those are our top 10 supporting performances of the decade, um, the 2010s. So be sure to keep an eye out because we will have another countdown episode coming soon. I'll go ahead and say here, we counted down supporting, so we've got to do lead next. So our next episode will be a top 10 countdown of the best lead performances this decade. So keep an eye out for that as well. As always, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, um, our website, gildedfilms.com, as well as rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. That really helps us out. Theme music, as always, was conducted by Joshua Arnoldi. And as always, this is great. Christian, any final thoughts? No, except I. these lists are really great, I must say. Yeah, no complaints. I'm excited right. for the next two, more performances. Yes. Be sure to tune in for that, and we will hear from you next time. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>